Howdy, friends. Welcome to Americana Station. I'm Emily Smith, filling in for Will Payne Harrison and India Ramey today. I've got an incredible guest for you today, Jesse De Silva. Their new album, Landscapes, drops on April 12th, and it's just a beautiful record from beginning to end. Prior to the interview, I had only heard some singles that had been released, but I've heard the whole album now. I listened to it all the way through as a whole, and wow, there are so many stellar tracks, it's just hard to even pick your favorite. And while the album leans into Americana, it's certainly genre-bending. You'll hear influences from 70s folk and rock, incredible instrumentals, and Jesse's gorgeous vocals carry you all the way through. They have a lot of practice in that area as assistant professor of voice at the conservatory at Berklee College of Music. And I want you to know that even though I hadn't heard the entire album prior to this interview, don't worry, we had plenty to talk about. And I think you'll get a peek inside the person behind the music, which for me is always the best part about interviewing artists. I do want to preface this interview with a trigger warning. Jesse's very open about their struggles with mental health. In this interview, we discuss issues including anxiety, depression, and eating disorders, which may be triggering for some. Personally, as someone who struggles with these issues, I am so very thankful for Jesse's openness, both in this interview and on the album. I find comfort in lyrics that make me feel less alone and make me feel connected in the same way that I do with people. And I believe you're going to find comfort and healing through Landscapes when it's released on April 12th. And I enjoyed feeling not alone listening to this record and chatting with Jesse. With that said, let's jump right in to the interview. Well, I first want to thank you because I really enjoyed listening to the first two tracks that have been released off the album. Um, I know I'm not alone in this, but hearing your music really resonated with me because I've been going through the same sort of processing through the pandemic, processing things from my childhood. And even though my experience is different than yours, I really felt it in your music. And I think it's going to touch a lot of people. So I'm excited to get the word out on it. Um, can you tell me a little bit about the new single that's out, Hibernate? Um, which is exactly what I call what I do when I fall <laughs> up in my blanket during the winter time. Can you tell me about the process of writing that and where that came from? Yeah. Um, well, you know, personally, I think I have always had a bit of a, a, a difficult time in the winter time, um, especially since moving up to Boston. We've been in Boston about five years now. Um, it, it seems like it's far enough north that we get, you know, like, a half hour less of sunlight, even than, than, you know, when, when we lived a little bit further South in Philly. Um, and, you know, I think the last couple winters have been extremely hard um, with quarantine and just sort of the stress of everything that's going on in the world. I feel like every week is another existential crisis for me. Um, but this winter in particular was really tough for my partner. Um, my partner has really been struggling with um, his depression, especially with the seasonal things. And um, yeah, I, I think it, there was a week where things were really rough and I felt like I happened to be in a good enough place at that time to kind of like pick up the slack a little bit for him right. um, just in our house and just sort of be like, okay, you know, you do what you need to do. Like I'll make sure the dog gets fed and I'll make sure, you know, the 
the dishes are done and, and, you know, which is, they sound like little things, but I think that when you're, when you're the person who's really struggling to just like get out of bed and do the bare minimum and show up to work, um, I think that having someone who's able to do those things can be really huge. Um, and so that's just, the, that's the place I wrote this song from. Um, I, I felt a little weird sort of, I was like, okay, it's going to go on this album that's for spring release. But at the same time, it felt kind of appropriate to, to be bringing the single out, like as, as the spring has just begun. Um, cause I also think that like depression, um, doesn't really have like a season you know i think that like even though this song kind of talks about hibernation and the winter and you know the beginning of spring i think like we need to hibernate at all different times and sometimes you just need someone to be like okay take the time you need um and just you know like don't get out of bed and keep your sweats on and and take the space that you need to, to feel right. ready to come back into the world. So that's so huge. And I mean, I know it is spring or spring is coming, but it's still yeah. overcast where I am in Tulsa. I'm still like in that phase of depression where it's like, I don't want to get out of bed and I'm lucky to have yeah. a partner too. That's supportive. And I think that's huge. And for people that don't have that, it's heartbreaking because it's hard to get through the day when you're like that. And I just really resonated with this song um, on a little bit lighter note. Why did you choose crocuses? I didn't even know that was a flower. I had to look it up. Oh, well, so interestingly, <laughs> so crocuses are, at least in the Northeast, um, yeah, I don't really know much about where they are indigenous to, but um, in the Northeast, like crocuses are these little flowers that kind of, they're usually like the first sign of spring and they kind okay. of like bloom. Sometimes you'll see them kind of peeking through the snow, um, yeah. you know, early. Um Interestingly, uh, I didn't pick it this for this reason, but my first, uh, like album that I kind of DIY'd was called, uh, Horror Frost and Crocus Shoots. And it was titled after kind of just this idea of like cycles of growth and death and rebirth and all that stuff. Um, so I don't know. I really like crocuses for that reason, just because they're yeah. this like sign of new beginnings. I actually have like a couple, um, I mean, this is a podcast so you won't be able to see, but I have a couple <laughs> tattooed on my arm. Okay. Um, so yeah, so they're I don't an know. important flower to you. I, I was guess like, so. I had never, I just had never heard of them. I had to Google it. I knew it was a flower just based on the, the lyrics of the song, but I was like, yeah, yeah. I'm going to see this flower. Um, <laughs> we have like red bud trees here. That would probably be like the equivalent yeah. in Oklahoma. That's like the first thing to bloom here. To bloom. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah these are just these little like ground flowers that, um, yeah, they're pretty. That I are, looked at them. Little purple. Yeah, I mean, they're wild in certain places, uh, but I think you can also like get bulbs and plant them. I don't know. I'm not very yeah. good. I have a very brown thumb, so I I'm not one to talk about flowers and gardening. But right, I'm trying <laughs> to I like learn. To look I have house plants. I got a lot of house plants during the pandemic, <laughs> um, which isn't good when you have depression. But that's another story. I, yeah. <laughs> You and everyone else. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, something else I've been like, I've learned about recently is like burnout recovery, which I didn't realize was a thing and can take mm-hmm. like years and is something that people study. And I feel like a lot of us went through this like emotional processing during the pandemic that caused burnout. And I think oh, a lot really? of us are just completely burnt out at this point. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like, I felt that kind of vibe in, in your songs that I've heard so far off the album. I don't know. It just resonated with me. So I wanted to call that out. Um, the yeah. other single you've released so far is Siren Song. 
Um, and I related with the lyric screening calls from all my old friends because I feel like a lot of us went through a change during the pandemic and it's hard to kind of like be the person that we were before this all happened. And I know a lot of people found new communities online during the pandemic. Is that something you were thinking about as you wrote this song? Yeah. I mean, I think if not consciously, I think it's just kind of all there, you know, I I think the, the, the journey that we kind of all went through in the past, uh, I don't know, what is time even two years, three years? I don't know. Um, (laughs) a long time. I think you're right. I think like we've all kind of changed. Um, I think that I've kind of gone through these different phases in terms of like what, what, uh, community and socialization even like means to me. I think there have been times where, um, early in the pandemic, um, just getting to see someone's face on a computer screen, like meant so much because we felt, you know, I felt so isolated. Um, and then there were times where, you know, everything was on zoom and we were fatigued and we like needed to kind of like cocoon ourselves even more. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think like, I, I don't know about you, but I've, I found a really beautiful sense of community, um, online in the past couple of years, just with other, with other artists and other musicians, um, specifically other, um, other queer, like Americana and country musicians. Right. Um, you know, the, the, the sort of intersections from with the queer Americana community and the BIPOC Americana community has been like really healing to me. Um, and in some ways, uh, some of those folks that I've kind of connected with have become some of my best friends. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I just, I was just down in Tennessee, um, last week. Um, I teach, uh, so I have spring break. So I was like, I'm going to take a spring break kind of like mini, mini Tennessee tour. Um, and I got to spend some time with, um, Adim the artist, who's someone you, you folks have had on this show before. Um, Adim and I connected early in the pandemic and have been, I mean, I can't speak for Adeem, but I know that Adeem has been a really great kind of support system for me throughout all of this. Just someone to talk about mental health with, someone to talk about gender and queerness with, and and how these things all intersect with the country music community. Um, right. So, yeah, I feel like I've meandered a bit from your question. No, but, but that was, that's good. That's why I want to hear that. I um I did notice that the queer community was really coming together during the pandemic. And then... yeah the BIPOC community uh, with things like black Opry and country queer. And um, I love seeing that happen because I've been covering this style of music for a really long time, but I never really created a community. So it's more just me listening to the music by myself. Um, Mm -hmm. So even just watching it happen online, I love like seeing all the artists meet each other and like, you know, do things together or collaborate together. I saw a video you did where you got to play with Aaron Lee Chazjan, which I thought was yeah. pretty incredible. How was that for you? Is he a friend of yours? Is that um, um, a collaboration yeah, I, that'll happen again? Yeah, I think um, that whole thing was, so I feel like these two things are kind of related because, um, you know, coming together and finding this community with the queer country community and, and sort of then, seeing, I, I, I don't, I wouldn't say that I'm part, 
I'm not part of the BIPOC country community or Black Opry because I'm a white person. But again, these intersections in community of sort of marginalized artists trying to kind of make a name for themselves in the uh, in the country and Americana scenes has been such a a healing and exciting thing. It's also been really beautiful just as someone in the music community at all, which can feel like a really impossible space. It can feel like finding success can seem so insurmountable. And then being able to kind of watch like folks like the Black Opry folks like Jet Holden um, and Holly who started Black Opry and Roberta Lee and these artists that are whose music I love, but also who I've been able to kind of make even small online connections, watching them have these successes is really healing just as an artist as well, because it's like sometimes these things can feel totally impossible, um, let alone if you're part of a marginalized community. And so to see um, black Opry really thrive uh, has just been this beautiful, inspiring amazing thing even just to kind of watch from the sidelines as someone who's not part of the community right um and so i think that these kind of these these connections and and connecting with other independent artists kind of like made that that kind of veil between that internet veil kind of a little thinner and so like i guess maybe a year or so ago i um i just i think i tweeted at or instagrammed (laughs) Aaron Lee Tastian and was just sort of like, Hey, could we be friends? And I was like, sort of joking. Um, and he just like tweeted back and was like, yes, let's be friends. And then we just started kind of DMing and kind of messaging each other and just kind of chatting about stuff. Um, and, um, at one point, you know, I saw that he was coming up to Boston and I bought his ticket and, and I DM'd him again. And I was like, Hey, like, um, you know, I'm really excited to see your show. Like, and, and we had been talking and and at one point he had said something like, Oh, you know, I have family up in new England and like, you know, we should, if I'm ever up there, we should like hang out or something. And I was like, okay, Aaron, let me test you. And like, like, um, but when I messaged him and said that I was coming to his show, he was like, Oh, he was like, um, he was like, I want to have you like on stage for something. Like you should come to the sound check. Like, just like text, he gave me his phone number and he was like, text me, you know, about a week before the show so we can like set something up. And I was like, okay, this is so weird and generous. Cause you know, to me, Aaron Lee Tastian is an artist that like I was a fan of right. long before I started like actually talking to him as just a fellow human being. Um, yeah. But I was kind of like, why would you ever just like want me to come and like, like mooch off of your show, but, but cool. So right. Yeah. I mean, it was wonderful. Like he, um, I went to sound check. We like hung out, like I hung out with sort of the whole tour crew. Um, uh, Erica Blinn was, um, on tour kind of playing, playing guitar with him. And, um, we like went out for ramen before, before the show, like between sound check and the show, we just kind of like walked around Boston. It was, it was super fun. Um, and I, I played um, Angel from Montgomery because I had a, a cover of that album on Spotify at the time. And um, Rich Hinman, who's uh, an incredible pedal steel player, who's also a friend of Aaron's um, and works with folks like Katie Lang, um, he was also sitting in that night. And so I got to like play Angel from Montgomery with Aaron Lee Tastian, Erica Blinn, 
on guitars um, and Rich Hinman, who's like one of the best uh, pedal steel players out there, wow. just kind of just playing along. It was, it was pretty surreal. Um, and it was so generous of them because, you know, it's really hard to be an opener. I didn't have to open. I had this warmed up, primed, friendly crowd and I got just to just got to jump up in the yeah. middle of the show, you know, right. and everyone was super into it. Um, it was beautiful. And it was one of the kindest things that uh, any other musician has ever done. And, I, you know, it's been my experience since then that Aaron Lee Tashin is just a very kind, generous musician who is really invested in um, kind of helping other musicians along the way and just kind I of doing... That doing whatever he can. Um, when I, when I told him that I was coming down to Nashville, he, um, you know, he connected me with, um, a friend of his, Anthony da Costa, who has a residency at D's and was like, Hey, like you should have my friend, Jesse, uh, do like a guest set. So, um, yeah, he's just been really, really kind and, and really generous at just trying to connect me with whomever, um, whomever we might, he thinks might vibe with me and right. trying to kind of just like help me in, in ways that I think he thinks are very little ways, but for me are very huge because huge, again, like, yeah. I think we're, we're all trying to kind of make it on our own. And, um, and I think that a lot of times there aren't people to just kind of help you out or like, give you an inside tip or just connect you with people. I think it's not that people aren't generous. It's just that like, it's hard enough to be an artist and make it on your own. Right. Um, so I think like, we're not, a lot of people aren't invested in helping each other, but he, uh, at least in my experience has been really invested in that. And yeah. Uh, and he's also just a really funny, fun, cool guy to hang out right. with. And one of the most incredible performers, if you haven't seen him live, like, He's just ridiculous. I haven't seen him live on his own or since he started doing like Americana music a yeah. long time ago. I used to work with BP Fallon, who was mm -hmm. his manager and he was in another band and the name is escaping me right now, but they played in New York and I saw them yeah, at South yeah, by yeah. Southwest. Um, he wasn't the front person, but he played guitar and I can't think of the name yeah. of the band right now, but I've been aware of Aaron Lee Tazjan for a long time. And I love that, you know, he's been in the industry and he's able to help artists. And I see how kind he is just from online. I don't know him personally, yeah. Um, but I love that. I love the not gatekeeping, like just helping. Like I've been there. Like I, the opposite know, of gatekeeping. That exact opposite yeah. of gatekeeping. Yeah. It's really cool to see. Um, yeah. He also was, really inspired me. Um, this happened. When was this? last i guess i was just start i was still in the process of like making the album was this last summer last spring last fall i don't know time again <laughs> yeah i have um, no idea time he really inspired me because he's like he's been sort of put in the americana umbrella because he just went to nashville and his first album was was super americana kind of forward but his most recent album is like kind of like this eclectic hodgepodge of like like right there's it's like, kind of psychedelic even yeah it's psychedelic yeah. there's kind of some synth pop mixed in there um and so that was also really inspiring to see him as a performer because even when this was sort of like a, a stripped down it wasn't like a full band tour that that i kind of 
saw him on. Um, it's, it was mostly solo acoustic, but again, like Erica was there kind of also filling out the sound with acoustic guitar. But even in that setting, all of his influences kind of show, um, in the way that he plays the guitar, those psychedelic influences show there's like a little bit of kind of, I would say like Prince vibes and his soloing and, and even like Jimi Hendrix. And I think that really inspired me too to kind of get out of this idea that when I write and record, I have to be like thinking, okay, I'm making this next kind of Americana hit. Right. right. It started to help me kind of, um, let all my other kind of weird influences, like I, I grew up loving Tori Amos and, you know, loving a lot of like seventies folk rock that my parents right. listened to. And so I think on this record, even though it still is, I think a solid kind of Americana record, I was not think I was not trying to box myself in with genre when I was writing. And when I was recording, I was trying to kind of just let whatever influences came out, come out. And, and I really like, credit him as a big inf- um, influence, but well, yeah, influence, but inspiration in that, inspiration. in that sense. Cause yeah. I think he's really decided in recent years to just kind of not to, to, he even mentioned being in, in um, inspired by Yola who calls herself genre fluid. Um, right. Um, I love, and, I like that. Yeah. Just mixing in a lot of different things. When I was uh, stalking your YouTube videos, I also saw your tiny desk concert mm-hmm. that you had, um, uh, I guess it's for the contest, right? Yeah. The, uh, entry and it was of your song, 10,000 things. Yeah. Is that going to be on the album? It is, is on the album. It yeah. is on the album. Okay. Um, that one to me was more, more Tori Amosy or more Broadway even. It didn't yeah. have as much of that Americana vibe to it, but I loved it. I was just singing along. Like I've, I've singing that song now. It's a fun one to sing along to. Um, I'll be looking forward to hearing the version on the album. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about that track? Yeah, totally. That's actually one of my favorite tracks and one of, uh, one of my favorites. I mean, like, it's weird to say your favorite songs that you've written, but I guess I'm at the point where I actually like the songs I'm writing, which is probably a good thing. Um, yeah, that, that was one too, that was sort of a contender for being a single because I just, and not even that it's super catchy, but just that I really love what we did production wise with it. Um, and I feel like the story is really important to me. Um, and I wrote, I co-wrote it with my friend, Alex, um, uh, Alex Calabrese, who is, uh, the front person, front man for, um, a group called old Tom and the lookouts, which is a Boston based, uh, kind of, uh, indie folk, folk pop sort of, uh, group that I also play with sometimes. Uh, we co-wrote that song. Um, and it's about, for me, another thing that I've been kind of exploring, uh, in my mental health journey has been kind of revisiting, um, a history that I have with an eating disorder, um, that I, I would have said maybe a year ago, I would have said, Oh, I had an eating disorder when I was a teenager. Um, and one of the things that I've kind of learned is like, no, I have an eating disorder. I never really treated it. I never really, um, sort of healed fully from that. And, um, what I'm learning is that even though I may not be, um, I may not look a certain way in terms of my weight, or I may not sort of, be restricting as much food as possible all the time. 
I still have a lot of those habits that have been becoming ingrained in my life and how I cope with anxiety has often been kind of restricting food or skipping meals or, um, or, or binging. Um, I guess I should, should have probably prefaced, prefaced this with a bit of a trigger warning. Um, maybe that's something that you could do at the beginning <laughs> of your, when you, trigger when warning. you do your official intro. Um, but yeah, I, I've struggled for most of my life with, um, with body dysmorphia, which is sort of, um, where you either can't see yourself the way others see yourself, or you see yourself in a very specific way, no matter what reality is. Um, and it's weirdly become, I think, heightened over the pandemic, which you wouldn't think so because you think like if you're not out as much in public or you're not, you know, like, you know, if you're alone in your house, maybe those things would be a little less intense, but um, for whatever reason, probably because of anxiety, because a lot of body dysmorphia and eating disorders are kind of symptoms of other anxiety. um, It's been something that has kind of flared up a lot and kind of resurfaced in my life. Um, Excuse me. And in my own work with my therapist, one of the things that sort of we were talking one day and I was saying, you know, this is like noise that's always there. You know, the eating disorder is always there. And so every day I have this kind of like noise kind of making me self-conscious of how I look or um, worrying about how others are perceiving me. And it's like some days the noise is really loud and it's all I can think about. And some days it's a little quieter, you know, some days it's okay. Some days I can go about my day and some days I can even say like, Ooh, I feel, I feel good about myself today, but it's still there. Right. Like even on those days where I feel good about myself, there's also this voice kind of being like, Oh, don't feel too good about yourself. Like, you know, maybe, maybe what you saw in the mirror isn't really there, you know? Um, And one of the things that I've noticed is that when I am creating, when I'm either writing or um, recording or performing or, or even teaching, um, I teach a voice at a conservatory here and I would consider teaching also a creative uh, endeavor. When I'm really in that, in those, in that place of creativity, uh, this noise kind of, I feel like kind of the noise of body dysmorphia and, and sort of bad self-image kind of quiets a little bit. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, even though I really struggle with self-esteem and self-image, I think that one of the things that I really am proud of is, you know, my, my musicianship and my ability to write and my ability to sing and just, just make music. Um, so it sort of tempers that. And so that's what that song is. That was a really long way of saying that that's what no. that song is about. Um, I love how open you are. And I relate to everything you're saying. I have an eating disorder as well. So, I mean, I hear you. I've put on 75 or 80 pounds during the pandemic. It's like outrageous because I've been depressed. So when I'm depressed, yeah. I eat. When I'm anxious, yeah. I control what I eat. Exactly. It, that this is, I, I very much vibe with that. It's, yeah. And, it, and I think sometimes people don't, I think, I think that either people who don't have eating disorders or people who maybe, um, 
doubt their own experience and, and and aren't sure if what they're experiencing is is sort of a valid thing i think what people don't know is that it doesn't always look like one way or the other like no, like so i very different. much resonate with the idea that when i'm feeling anxious i restrict um and restriction for me also can mean um trying to eat healthy it doesn't just right. for me it doesn't just mean like starving myself carte blanche yes. it, it can mean like oh i need to get my i need to get my health in order i need to start counting calories or i need to you know exercise every single day and if i don't exercise every single day then i'm gonna fall back into a bad routine right for me that is also a, those are symptoms of disordered eating which is yes. what a lot of people would say is like oh that's being healthy um and then when I, when I'm feeling depressed, then I tend to go the opposite way. I kind of comfort myself with food. Um, and, uh, you know, I think for me, both of those things, uh, either of those ends of the spectrum really are about me just not being present and not wanting to just be present with myself. Right. Um, and so that's what sort of in the song, I, I say like, it's just one, one of, 10,000 little things between myself and me, meaning like this is just one other way that I try to separate myself from myself and kind of, I, I try, I try to kind of, it's a way of me um, just not being present with, with, with my, my own sense of identity and my body. Um, right. And so sort of the antidote to that, which is sort of in the bridge, I talk about the bridge is like turning up the sound of, of, of my own music and, and kind of the music that's, that's in me. I say like, turn up the sound of music in my bones. Um, and I'm found, I've carved myself a home out of 10,000 little things. So I'm always trying in my work to kind of, um, not put a silver lining necessarily on, on things that are painful, but to kind of make this connection that, this thing that is painful can also be really beautiful. And right. like when I'm there's feeling- a hopefulness in your music, I think like I'm relating to it and it's like sad in a way, but then I, at the end of the songs, I feel hopeful. Yeah. I, I mean, that's, I I'm glad because that's kind yeah. of what that, you know, the, the, the artists that have always been really important to me have done that. Um, you know, like Dolly Parton, even, you know, even her earlier stuff that is often really sad, you know, it still has some hope in it. Or yeah. even if the songs don't have hope, you then like see her interviewed and she's such a hopeful person. So um Stevie Nicks is another artist that's been really, really um kind of monumental in my development as an artist and, and yeah. a human being. And she's another one who... Uh, almost every song, even like breakup songs that she has, there's some element, some kernel of like hope that's like, I might feel really shitty right now, but like, I know I won't feel that way forever. Um, right. And I know that this is just part of life and that it's a cycle and that, you know, even though I'm feeling really bad, something good is going to happen. Um, I'm a big uh, Stevie Nicks fan as well. And I keep wanting to call your album, landslide instead of landscapes <laughs> for some reason. And I and like, I'm like, I keep telling myself before the interview, okay, it's landscapes, landscapes. Cause I want to call it landslide, <laughs> but I saw your cover of landslide as well. And that was so beautiful. Um, yeah. I just wanted to throw that in. I'm a, I'm a fan of your music Thanks. and I'm- hers. And I see that 
I saw so many people compare you to lots of different artists and I'm not a voice teacher, but, um, what I heard if, if we're doing comparisons, I kept hearing mm-hmm. James Taylor, like in your cadence. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I kept getting James Taylor vibes on a little bit of uh, some of your music. And I like James Taylor. Um, that's it. Yeah. That's a really interesting one because I've had to kind of make peace with that because I don't dislike, I, I, I feel very nostalgic about James Taylor because I think of him as like my dad's music. Right. Yeah. So like, so there's part of me that's like, Oh God, like <laughs> comparing to me, like I think of James Taylor as like a dad. Um, yeah. I very much identify him with my own father. But the thing is, is that I grew up listening to him. He was a really, really important artist to my dad. Um, you know, it's like, there's certain, like fire and rain and sweet baby James. And, um, I guess they're both on the same record, right? Fire and rain is, um, that album is really kind of nostalgic and important to me. Um, and, and so I don't necessarily, I, I, I guess it's one of those things where I don't think of James Taylor as like a very conscious influence for me. Cause yeah. I, he's not necessarily like a favorite artist of mine that I'm trying to emulate, but at the same time, it just, it's just one of those other instances where like your influences are more than just the people you listen to on repeat. Like you're, you absorb stuff from your childhood. You absorb, honestly, you absorb, absorb stuff from like the music that just happens to be playing on the background in the radio or whatever. Um, so yeah, I've grown to love that, that comparison because he is such a masterful songwriter and he's such a huge, uh, figure just in kind of the music of the the 70s um and that sort of folk that folk revival that happened in the late 60s and 70s where folk music was pop music which is kind of wild to think about you know like right i like uh, that i feel like it's kind of maybe going back that way or maybe i'm in just too weird of a bubble but (laughs) i just see this like this shift where Americana and folk and things like that are starting to get a little more traction. And yeah, I mean, Brandy Carlisle is probably like one of the biggest celebrities in all in in just popular music right now, and she is a folk Americana country. I mean, what is she? Folk Americana rock something country. like that. She's, yeah, she's all those. A things. melding, yeah. But she's, but yeah, I think you would put her under the folk umbrella, and she's, I think, a, become a pretty mainstream artist, which is so exciting for me to see because she's one of my favorite folks. And I, and again, like, I think anytime we see an Americana kind of artist kind of like breaking through into the mainstream, I I hope that we celebrate that. I've noticed like like, these little pods. Oh, sorry. I interrupted, but I've noticed these like little pods forming, which reminds me of like the seventies and the folk vibe, how there was like, stuff going on in California and here mm-hmm. in Tulsa, where I live, we had Leon Russell and JJ yeah. Kale, and they were working on, they'd fly out to California and work on an album. Tom Petty created an album here, but he was based in Gainesville, Florida and everybody had their little scenes going on, but they all helped each other. And mm-hmm. that I have no idea how that happened so well without internet, but I kind of see that happening again, where everybody's starting to connect and work on each other's albums. And yeah, it's like these little pods of folk and Americana are forming all across the country. And I get excited watching it. Yeah. I mean, I think, <laughs> I think they've always kind of been there, but I think, um, I think you're right. I think that there are sort of like, there have been like cycles where 
those pods have always been there, right? Like there are always scene, right. local scenes. But I think again, like the idea of like collaboration within those scenes, I think is something that kind of has kind of historically come and gone. And I, I also really appreciate that because I, for me, collaboration and, and working with other artists is like, that's really all I want to do. I don't, I, I don't have a lot of interest anymore in my life in terms of just like, holding up in, in, in my, my studio and just kind of like being this like solo artist. I want to make music with other people. Um, yeah. And I've been really fortunate to find, um, a great kind of Americana scene up here in Boston and, and sort of greater new England. It's it, again, it's always kind of been a thing, right? The, the Cambridge folk scene, um, uh, is like where folks like Dar Williams and Tracy Chapman, um, and some of those folks in the nineties, um, kind of cut their teeth out here and, and it really is still very much alive. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's a beautiful thing to, to see kind of communities and like pods, like you said, of, of just collaboration. Um, now what I'm kind of sort of like interested in is, kind of expanding my pod, you know? And so that was one of the reasons why I wanted to go down to Nashville and Knoxville is kind of to nurture some of those relationships that I kind of found myself in online and start to kind of like be like, okay, like let's like, let's now be like real life friends and and let's like make, make music, you know, together. So I hope to do kind of even more of that. I hope to kind of, I'm always hoping for more collaboration with new folks. as much as I love the the folks that I regularly work with. So. Right. I know you have your um, release show coming up on the 21st and mm-hmm. that's at the Boston Harbor distillery. Mm-hmm. Um, tickets are still available for that. I saw yes. online just a few yes. left. So if you are in Boston, you need to go get those tickets. Um, do you have other tour dates coming up that you're excited about or what's on the horizon for you? We'll just ask that tour dates or any collaborations or things you're working on. Yeah. Um, right now I'm kind of, I was just talking about this the other day with a dean. Like, I feel like I was so unsure sort of coming 2021 was still a really weird time for touring and live music. Um, and especially locally in Boston. So I think I sort of like was very cautious in terms of booking things. Um, I just sort of realized that I put so much, uh, focus and emphasis on the Nashville like a mini tour and just this, um, this, uh, release show that I kind of did not book a big release tour promo tour. So, um, that is still kind of something that I'm trying to figure out is sort of what the summer and fall are going to look like. Um, so I would say stay tuned because I do have some things in the works in terms of both local and then sort of, uh, not, not super far away, but, but expanding again out of like the new England area. Um, but yeah, I mean like just, uh, keep an eye out for the album. I don't know when this episode is going to air, but, um, that's coming in April. Um, and I hope to have some more shows, uh, after that to kind of promote that. Um, and otherwise, yeah, I'm just, I'm thinking ahead about what the next album is going to be. I'm already kind of writing for it. I'm already, kind of just trying to figure out where it's going to take place and with whom and, you know, 
there, there's always stuff on the horizon, even if not concrete. I wish I had something more like, yes, this is coming. <laughs> but for now, I'm, I'm focusing a lot on just kind of trying to do this album um, justice and make sure that it gets the attention and the from me and the release attention that it deserves, I hope. Yeah, that's always um, the piece of the puzzle. Like I... I'm going to do what I can to get your music out there. I'm going to, I'm going to push Will to get this episode out before the album comes out. And like I said, in the beginning, I connected to everything I've heard so far. And I just feel like it will really touch people if it gets to the right ears. So I want to be a big part of helping you get the word out on that. Um, Is there anything else you want to talk about regarding the album and, um, yeah, just anything like overarching themes or yeah, you know, I mean last minute thoughts on it. So I think for me the the overarching theme, both in the songs and the music itself, and in the way that I made it, is connection and community and collaboration. Um, I, I think that's just kind of where I my brain has been coming out of, you know, as we like dig out of our little caves, both our pandemic caves and our winter kind of hibernation caves is just like wanting to reconnect, wanting to connect with listeners, um, which is why it's so beautiful to hear you say the things that you've said about my music. Like, I think, you know, I tell my very intimate personal story, not to be like, Hey, look at me, but to be like, Hey, I hope that something I say can, can help you feel like you're not as alone and that like there are other people out there kind of struggling and kind of just pushing through and trying to get by. Um, But also the way that I recorded the album, the way that we worked on it was, you know, we wanted to make music together. So even though it's a solo record and I don't have a band with a name, it's very much a band record. It's very much about the guys that I, that I make music with on a regular basis. Um, uh, my friend Alex Calabrese, I meant mentioned, he's co-writer. He plays acoustic guitar on the album. Uh, my friend Daniel Jung, who is a great uh, Berkeley grad uh, from up here, and he uh, plays electric. He's a master. Jacob Thompson is my drummer, uh, also a grad of Berkeley, and um, my producer and best friend and uh, also bass player on the record, Matt Nalakowski who's worked with a lot of great uh, New England uh, and national artists as well. Um, We just decided that we didn't want to be coming in alone and sitting in a booth overdubbing parts. Like we wanted to just play, play the record. And so that's what we did. We, we, most of the record is just live recorded. We're just in different booths, but all playing at the same time as a band. And um, I hope that that kind of, immediacy and vibrancy of people really making music in real time. I hope that that comes across because that was one of the things that I missed the most when we were all in quarantine was just not being able to play music with another human being in the same room. Yeah. I always love those albums more that are recorded all together. There's just more of a realness or, you know, just has that more like warm feel to it. Yeah. I just did it it so much. So I'm excited. It really sparked our creativity too, because, you know, like we couldn't 
really agonize over little details and, and like fixing everything. So at the end of the day, you know, we would do like four or five takes of a song and then we would all go into the control room with Matt and just kind of come to some sort of consensus and, and be like, well, this was the take, this was the one. And it's funny because you would think that that might lead to like arguments or people, you know, but it actually pretty much every time we were all just, we went in and we were like, Oh, it, it was the third one. Like, cause we just felt it in the moment. We we're like, yeah, right. this, that was the one we would listen to it through and be like, yep. Yeah. That was the one. Um, and you know, the, the only thing there were just a couple parts, like, uh, the pedal steel parts and the mandolin and stuff, uh, those folks weren't there. And so they kind of did it on their own. And I did go through on the very last session and just, uh, do like three vocal takes. I sang the whole album like three times um, just to make sure, you know, the vocal takes were good. But um, a- apparently Matt did not comp any of my vocals, which I feel kind of weird about, but like, also I'm kind of like, Hey, so every, every track on the album, even the vocal take is just one full take Wow. that he, that he just was like, this is the take, um, which I think is pretty unusual these days. Um, yeah. we tend to, we tend to like auto tune, which auto tune is a great tool, but we tend to auto tune and comp and, and make everything as perfect as possible. Um, and you know, while I hope that the ar- album isn't, I don't think it's sloppy, but it's definitely not like fine toothed comb right. perfection. It's, I, it, we wanted it to just feel real. Yeah. Um, like the emotions and the things that we're talking about. So. So yeah, so the whole thing is just, it's about community and connection and making music and living life and being in community with other human beings, which I think is a thing that a lot of us um, felt was missing for, for a couple of years. So. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and I look forward to the album release uh, for all of the listeners that didn't jot everything down go back and listen to all of the songs we talked about, all the YouTube videos, or just go stock Jesse De Silva online. Like I did. And yeah. <laughs> you can, you can learn all the things um, too. Yeah. So, I'm just uh, Jesse D music on Instagram and Twitter. And um, Jesse is spelled J E S S Y E, which is a little unusual. So J Jesse D as in De Silva music. Um, that's my Instagram and Twitter handle, and I believe Facebook as well. So you can find me on all the, all the places. Thank you so much for hanging out for the show today. I am so stoked for the release of Landscapes on April 12th. If you are in the Boston area, get to that show on April 21st for the record release. I would 100% be there if I could. Listening back to the interview, I feel like I need to say that the band I was trying to think of that Aaron Lee Tazjan was in is called Semi-Precious Weapons. You should look them up. Of course, it came to me like immediately after I got off the call. And as Jesse said, please go look into more of their music, jessedmusic.com. Jesse is spelled J-E-S-S-Y-E, dmusic.com. You'll find links to Bandcamp, Instagram, Twitter, all that good stuff. And I told you, I like getting to know the person behind the music. Following artists on Instagram and Twitter is a great way to do that. Aside from keeping up with their latest happenings, you can interact with them directly. Get to know them. 
And maybe, like Jesse ended up on stage with Aaron Lee Tajian, you could end up on stage with Jesse Da Silva. Thank you again, friends, for hanging out for Americana Station. I'm Emily Smith. I'll see you back here next time.